This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. We are talking about how to invest like the best investors in the world, where uh, we believe Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger stand at the top of that particular, you know, large mountain. And <laughs> we think that, by the way, pretty much everybody who's a really great investor has figured out to do it very much like Charlie and Warren, which is essentially buying something that you have a very solid uh, conviction on, that you're, you're, you know that thing is going to be worth more in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And you buy it at a really cheap price. You buy it at a price far below today's value. That's really investing. And everything else is some form of speculation. Even, now Danielle and I might disagree about this, but I think even putting your money into the stock market with the expectation that America will continue to be a dominant power and economic power in the world and will continue to grow. And therefore your investment will grow if you just buy the whole U.S. market, which is what you guys are doing when you put your money into big broad market mutual funds and exchange traded funds. So if you don't know what you're buying. Wait, what, although, is, what is that? That's investing <laughs> or speculating? That's speculating. Ah. You know, if you're just ignorant about what it is and just hope it goes up, that's speculating, Right. So we were talking yeah. about Tesla, and yeah. people are buying that stock at $385 a share, just speculating that it'll go up the way people speculate that Bitcoin is going to go up, right? Mm-hmm. So people who bought it at 20000 have been pretty wrong, um, but people who bought it at $4,000 not too long ago have turned out to be very right, and it's gone up mm-hmm. nicely. So it's mm-hmm. just total speculation. There's nothing involved in what you know or could learn or will learn about Bitcoin or Tesla that gives you any idea about whether you're paying a good price or not for that for that investment. No, but Tesla, you could figure it out. No, I don't think you can. No? No, I don't think... Well, You don't I, think you, you can figure out a good price on Tesla? <clears throat> no. And the reason is, is because I don't think you're going to know for sure that's going to be around in 10 years. So what price should I pay for something that is not going to be around in 10 years with some degree of probability? Like, let's say it's, Well, then I think, but I think you've answered your question there. So your price Hmm. would be, the price is zero. It's not worth anything. (laughs) Right. So I do have a price that I pay for Tesla. But you did find a price. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I did. Zero. Which is unfortunately where I would price probably most things, most businesses that I look at, I would price at zero. Not because that's really what they're worth, but it's all I can do. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what somebody would pay for Tesla to get what they've got right now. It's probably more than zero, but I don't know what it is. Um, there's, you know, I would say the same thing about companies like Micron. I mean, I just don't know. I don't know enough about them to know for sure that they're going to continue to be a winner 10 years from now. I don't, I don't know. And if yeah. I don't know, I the price I put on it, no matter how much I love the company or how much I love the entrepreneur who's behind it, I've learned the hard way from doing things like that with Steve Jobs that the price has to be zero. I can't put 
money into this thing if I don't know what's going to come out. Otherwise, I'm speculating, right? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say Tesla has a very strong brand that's worth something, and I don't see Tesla just disappearing into nothing. I think some car, co- if if it goes down, I think some car company will buy it and be very happy to get the Tesla brand and keep making the Tesla cars. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Um, or well, so let's let's look at that for a second. Let, let's say that right now you have to pay $41 billion to buy Tesla. And as mm-hmm. we talked about last time, <clears throat> what you get for that is $2 billion of operating cash. That doesn't tell you how much money is going into your pocket because they have to pay out money in capital expenditures every single year that will reduce that operating cash, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> you could buy Ford right now for $40 billion. It's got $15 billion of operating cash. You can buy Fiat Chrysler. They've got $10 billion of operating cash. So the question is, what you know? What should you pay for these different companies? And, and I look at all of these, and I have a lot of trouble buying them at all. I look at Fiat Chrysler, and I go, man, I just, I've got friends of mine who have positions in Fiat Chrysler. <clears throat> I just don't know where they're going to be in 10 years. I don't know if Fiat Chrysler is going to be around in 10 and yeah, yeah they so, could probably sell off the Jeep division and the and the Ram truck division and the and the Maserati divisions and probably get significant amount of that twenty eight billion dollars back. But I don't know exactly. And unfortunately, I have seen too many times where executives who run a company will run it into the ground They'll, instead of mm-hmm. selling off the pieces as they should. Mm-hmm. They just want to hold on to their jobs as yeah, long as they can and keep point. getting paid. That's a fair point. And I could I could also see that happening with Tesla that Elon Musk this is his baby it's his his stamp on the world um, and he just refuses to sell it to anybody and it just dwindles away I could completely see that happening Yeah, me too. So yeah, and that you're would right. be horrible for an investor. It would it would be horrible. Right? Yeah. So if we look at these things and we go, okay, well <clears throat> they want forty one billion for it right now. Will this be worth more in ten years? That's our fundamental question, you guys. So th- this is everybody who's listening. If you're thinking about being an investor, that's the fundamental question you have to answer. Will this be worth more in ten years than what I'm paying for it today? And how and certain you- are you about that? And how certain are you about that? It's the certainty issue mm-hmm. that stops me from investing in many things. And 10 years is a really long time. It's a really sure long is. time. Like, think of where we were in electric vehicles 10 years ago. We didn't have any. Right. And, and now the world has changed dramatically. And it, and it continues to change dramatically. I'm mean, looking at right now, the demand for Teslas may very well be going down. And one of the reasons that the demand for Teslas may very well be going down is just a macroeconomic problem for electric cars, which is which gas is, prices are cheap. Oh, I thought you were going to say people are buying less cars. No, I mean, you, with gas prices at $4 a gallon, you might be thinking really seriously about an electric car. Gas prices at $2 a gallon, you might be thinking a lot less seriously about buying an electric car because it's hard to pay more for a vehicle that costs you um, more to drive than, you know, two bucks a gallon. I don't know what what electric Mm. cars do. They're probably closer to $2 a gallon. It's about the same. Yeah. I mean, we ran the numbers uh, for Switzerland anyway, and 
It was about the same to pay the electric costs to charge up the car completely compared to filling up the tank with gas. Yep. And so then, and then you do the analysis from an ecological point of view and you say, well, okay, I'm paying $2 in gasoline and I'm burning gasoline, or I'm paying $2 in the overall charges to get my electric battery charged up. And where does that power come from? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. It, you know, it's not all hydroelectric, sports fans. There's <laughs> there's energy in the form of carb, hyd- hydrocarbons being burned in order to charge your battery. I mean, that's just the way it is, okay? Yeah. I mean, in the United States, if you charge a battery, about 30% of that charge is coal. Yeah. Fire. Well, and I'll plants. add, so last time I talked about this test drive that I did um, at Tesla, I drove a Tesla and found out all the details of how this all works. So in addition to buying the car, to your point, and this would be true for any electric car, you have to also buy a charging station or your garage or your house or wherever you park your car and you have to pay to have it installed and that is not included at least for tesla in the cost of the car and then you can buy like the cheap charging station or you can buy the fast charging station (laughs) so of course then there's that decision and so if you only work every other day you can buy the cheap charging station. Yeah, and the thing is, which we don't, takes forty-eight hours to charge your it's, car. It's not. No, no. It's overnight. It's overnight. So <laughs> for most people, like they don't need the fast one, and it's fine. Um, you you know, drive it to work, drive it home, leave it there overnight, and it charges perfectly. Um, but I I think it was about all in with the um, labor and all that stuff. I think it was about five thousand to put in this charging station which is not small no not if you're buying a cheap electric car it's not well not if you're buying an expensive electric car well i'm just thinking in terms of (laughs) pro rata to its cost right as a relative piece of its cost buy a hundred fifty dollar thousand dollar tesla and a five thousand dollar charging station well okay it's an extra three percent oh yeah and the sales guy totally said it like that like oh you know you know it's like three thousand plus like a thousand for the installation whatever and we were like um excuse me what's that now plus we have to think about what that does to you if you're buying a thirty thousand dollar tesla yeah like, ah, uh, um, you just added almost 20%, dude. Yeah. And so you might be, that's the Tesla one, right? So let's assume that if you buy it from somebody else, it probably costs less. And also once you have it installed, then you have it. And if you buy three more electric cars down the line, you never have to buy another charging station unless, unless the technology changes, which we know it will. Or unless you want to charge them all at the same time. No, I meant like one after another. (laughs) Like you keep one car for three years and then you get another electric car. So you're you're set up at that. We basically have a gas station in your garage at that point. Well, well, we're hacking away. We're hacking away. We're hacking away at Tesla. And we we are not the only ones. (laughs) No. The thing is, let me just say, Dad, because the last time we talked about Tesla... I got some very nice emails from some very nice Tesla owners informing me that they understood everything we were talking about, but they really love their Tesla. And I totally appreciate that. Like, we love our cars. We, the general driving public, we fall in love with our cars. I do. And I love that people really feel something for this car and how innovative it is and how different it is and how joyful it is to drive it and that you feel like you're a part of something 
changing the world and growing and this new fledgling company. And it's, it's all like awesome. And especially I think just the people who work for the company are excited about it. The people who drive the cars are excited about their cars. It's like lots of good vibes around being a Tesla owner. And so I just want to acknowledge that, that, that there are tons of people who feel that way. And I love that. And the kind of sad thing about being an investor sometimes is when you look at the underlying company, it may not reflect that excitement and that joy. Yeah. And I've been there. I've been there. And like I said, last time I've got that t-shirt from uh, Steve Jobs' next company. I mean, I fell in love with their computer. All of the tech guys that were working in the companies I supported were, or that I invested in were in love with the computer. That's why I, I was so excited about it. It was just so much a better machine than anything in the marketplace by far. And people were willing to pay a premium to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. You're, you're competing against really tough competitors out there in the this, in this software and hardware computer marketplace, and they fight back. They don't just sit there and let you beat them up with your new innovation. They come back with their own innovations. And if you're not not only first to the market, but capturing the market, locking the market in with some sort of large moat, um, you're in trouble. And it just was that way for Steve Jobs' company. Um, And, you know, I mean, heck, Apple almost went down in the 1990s, right? Even though mm-hmm. it had a had a big first mover advantage. So you're going to have competition in the car markets. And that, that hasn't shown up yet in a major way. And it's on the way. I mean, Mercedes and Toyota are both coming out strong. GM's coming. Audi is already there. Um, Ford is coming. And these aren't going to be just... BMW, yeah. major. Porsche's out with now with a electric car. Like an electric, I think it's a, roughly a 911, although I think they call it something else. Electric. Yeah. I mean, you should see yeah. what the racing circuit's looking like these days. It's electric race cars out there, right? On the on the Formula... <laughs> well, you mean on the, on the Formula E's, E's. Yeah, the Formula E's. And it's, um, it's unbelievable. I mean, they're super fast, super quick. I know. I went to the Formula E race Oh, in was it Zurich. cool to watch them? Yeah. It's, you know, they're fast and they make like this worrying noise this like high-pitched like it's not exactly the uh formula one crazy diesel or whatever a crazy engine they had from uh like the early 2000s that everybody talks about but it was cool none of us know what you're talking about with the formula one engines in the crazy i don't have a clue tons of people know what i'm talking about just not you we we watch rodeos out here where i am yeah, so we watched. Let Formula me tell One you about the Wadawi Rodeo over the Fourth of July. <laughs> <laughs> so big part of Formula One is the noise of the cars, and they're like ultra sort of deep, <laughs> like I want to say like manly sort of sound nice. that they make. Nice, and they are no longer quite on that level of sound since the new hybrid era era that we're in now, which means like, according to regulations, all the formula one cars have to be hybrid cars because again, we are moving into a world of better um, fuel and fuel economy. And 
So Formula One is reflecting that very admirably. But purists often talk about the noise that the older cars used to make because it was way well, louder. Investors way see this sort of thinking going on with investing. What they do sometimes is they take what is called a short position on the stock because they think that investors have lost their minds if they ever had one and are voting for this stock entirely based on emotion. And when that happens, I feel like we just, <laughs> when that happens, this, I feel like we just like had a weird edit where I'm like going on about the noise and you're like, well, when investors, <laughs> when investors think about old noise, bring us one? back away from the Wadawi rodeo yeah. in formula one to the point <laughs> of this podcast, which is to learn how to it. be a great investor. And there are, yeah, because there's all kinds of people who are saying the same stuff we're saying right. about Tesla. So one of the things that I really like to do when I am looking into a company is to try to find if there are short sellers out there who are going to try to get rich when the company that I think is going to be awesome fails. All right, so we got to start okay. at the beginning here. What is short selling? All right, so short selling is... Well, first off, let's start with the word short, okay? When you're yes. short okay. in market terminology, you've sold something. So okay. short sellers is um, redundant. You should just say <laughs> short. You're short. <laughs> and then I know okay. you sold it, right? So short okay. means sold. Long means bought. So those are the two sides okay. of any trade. Just somebody's buying it, somebody's selling it. That means the person who bought it mm -hmm. is long and the person who sold it is short. Okay. Now, mm -hmm. when you're doing mm -hmm. that with stock, you are effectively going long on a stock when you buy the stock and you're short the stock when you sell the stock. Now, obviously, if you bought the stock and then sold it, you were long and then short and your trade is over. You just bought it, then you sold it. Okay. Now, it is possible okay. to simply sell the stock without owning it. And that's done because brokers can borrow shares of stock from people who are long and are holding it long term and then lend those shares to a short seller who then sells those shares. The broker holds the money until the short seller replaces the shares kind of like a bank, right? Like the way a bank lends money that other people have deposited into the bank. Well, the broker's certainly doing the banking job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what the I mean. Yeah. The broker is acting as a bank and they charge a little interest on that loan. Right. And so mm -hmm. if you were to, let's say. So but wait, just hmm. for clarification. So the people who own the stock, who are long the stock and actually own it, and then these shares of stock they own get lent out without them even knowing no, that's actually, happening, you, right? No, you, actually, you, you sign a little document that says it's okay to lend my shares. Oh, okay. I wonder if I sign that document <laughs> without knowing. <laughs> bro your broker will send you a little something that says, would you like to make a little bit of interest on your shares while you're holding them? Oh, yeah. okay. Um. So is there a risk for the person who owns the shares that the shares will not come back? Do they ever 
actually lose control of the shares? Um, no. The broker, I don't think the broker so. has control of this and can, uh, yeah, the broker can, can, is the broker, where the risk is with the broker. The broker has okay. to make sure that they're covered from the short seller. And uh, so, no, the, the long position is in good shape. You continue to get your dividends. Everything stays the same. Okay. So this person on the other side, or not on the other side, I shouldn't say that. This person who does not own the stock can still somehow sell stock. Right, because they they're borrowing it. So imagine, like, imagine you get this it. Tesla. And I have a report from a friend of mine at the Tesla battery factory that that model has a battery that catches on fire and nobody knows it yet. Mm -hmm. So I know mm -hmm. pretty reasonably um, that when this report comes out, nobody's going to want to buy that model of Tesla. And then the prices will drop like a brick uh -huh. for the existing models. Wait, who, who told I you I have that? a secret source in the Tesla factory. All right. Right? So I get information that's uh -huh. not widely known. Now, this isn't typical for short sellers. It, well, yeah, it is It is very typical for short sellers, actually. Um, they get information that's not widely known, and they get it by doing deep research and come to a conclusion. It's, I'm just, I'm just, it's, it's borderline on the... Not insider trading, but what's called tipping. So, I'm, but I, I think most most it's it's borderline, and and people who do that kind of research know that they're borderline. yeah. But most short sellers are not borderline. Like guys I like are not borderline. You know, guys like like uh, uh, Jim Chanos and uh, um, the people at Muddy Waters. You know, Carson Block. Those guys are they're really do just fantastic research. They just go deeper than most people go. Um, and typically they do it in areas where it's hard to get deep research. Like they, they really get underneath the, the hood. And so let's say that I, you have a Tesla and I borrow it with this information that this thing is going to blow. And um, I immediately take your Tesla down to a Tesla dealer who has a backlog and I sell it to him. Right, he, or he, he's got cars he wants to move, so he needs another car. So I sell it to him. Let's say I sell it for a hundred thousand dollars. Now, I give you the hundred thousand, you keep the hundred, and I owe you your Tesla back. I'm now short your Tesla. You're rolling your eyes. I'm like, I'm just trying to follow the train of okay. what just happened. So, what? I get, you sold my Tesla for me. Right. Right. And you gave me the money. That makes but wait, sense. You it's not your money. It's my money. Because why is it your money? I owe you a Tesla. So I've borrowed a Tesla. I've got to replace your oh. Tesla. Oh, yes. I want my Tesla yes. back or a Tesla back. So oh, you just okay. hold the money till I give you your Tesla back. Then you give me the money. You don't care what it costs me okay. to replace your Tesla. You just want your Tesla back, okay? And when you get mm -hmm. it, then I get mm -hmm. my money. So right now you're holding $100,000. And two weeks from, from then, the announcement comes out that these Teslas are horrible and nobody wants one. I then go back to the dealer and I buy your Tesla back for $20,000. You with me so far? So okay. I've now put $20,000 yeah. in. Now I've got $20,000 at risk. 
I bring your Tesla back, I give it to you, and you hand me my $100,000. So that's how a short mm -hmm. is supposed to so work from the short 80, position. So let's say that Carson Block at Muddy Waters decides that there's no way that Tesla is going to survive. Okay? So he goes, okay, mm -hmm. we're going to short Tesla. Mm -hmm. And let's say they shorted Tesla at $385. Let's say they called it exactly right, at, right at the top. They didn't, but let's just say they did. So right at $385, they borrow a million shares of Tesla, right? They just borrow it, and they're going to pay interest on it. They borrow all these shares. Let's just easier numbers. Let's do 1,000 shares of Tesla. So $385,000 of Tesla is sold, and their broker is holding that $385,000. Now, Carson has to pay mm -hmm. interest okay. on the uh, the loan, effectively, right? I of, see. Of, okay. I was going to ask how this timing thing works. So it's interesting. Well, essentially, he's been lent the stock, happens. and he's got to pay somebody some kind of an interest payment on the stock, right? Not on 385000 just on, yeah. uh, well, it's whatever the value is, times some percentage, some small percent. Okay. Mm -hmm. And now, um, indeed, it comes out that Tesla is is going to be very difficult for Tesla to survive. That they're no matter how many they sell, they seem to continue to lose money. Um, and other companies are coming out to compete against them. And son of a gun, the stock drops to $185 a share from $385. Mm -hmm. Okay. So mm -hmm. now uh, Carson Block decides, okay, well, that's that's good enough for this investment. That's taken one year, and let's buy it back now. And let's go into the market and buy that stock for $185,000. So I buy 1,000 shares for one eighty-five, or Carson does. He then turns the 1,000 shares back to the broker, and the broker gives him the 385000 So he ended up making okay. um, $200,000 on that short position. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I think yeah, that, that actually Muddy Waters closed out their short position and I think they said they have a small long put on uh, the stock which acts as a kind mm -hmm. of a short position as well so they're do you want to explain that? <laughs> okay, or just not so briefly, <laughs> a, a put is a form of option there's two forms of option, calls and puts and a put is a kind of insurance policy is the best way to think about it. So people who sell a put option to you are the insurance company who are willing to insure you that they will buy your stock from you at a set price for a certain period of time. And so what I said about Carson Block is that they, are, uh, they have a put. Well, they bought a put. So they bought the insurance policy. They're long a put. And they paid for that to the, the person that sold them the put. And as a result, that person that they that they bought it from is now obligated to buy Carson's stock for a certain amount of money. Okay? Well, Carson doesn't have any stock. He's essentially insuring something he doesn't own. Now, that's kind of clever because what, what that means is let's say he's insured it at $300 a share. Um, if it goes to $200 a share, then Carson will simply cash in his insurance policy. And pick up that extra hundred bucks. Okay. So you're mentioning this person's name a lot. And I think 
we should say we don't know him and we have no clue what he's doing and we don't have any up-to-date information about any of his actions Actually, regarding Tesla. Carson's a really good friend of mine and I, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know him. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but he is an incredibly well-known short seller who, uh, for example... But I just don't want anyone to like hear a section of this and go, oh, this right. is what he's doing. Right. We, we don't know what he's doing. Right doing. So let's, let's, yeah, he's, he's doing, doing whatever, whatever he's, he's doing. doing. And, um, um, and he does so, it with an enormous amount of research. So, what I just wanted to point out is that this is how short sellers work. He, he sent a team to China. He, bought, he, he hired Chinese guys to go research Chinese companies to find out if their numbers that they were showing in America were true. And he found out, for example, this one company was sending the same trucks in and out in a circle. They, the trucks would pull out of the, of the mine and leave as if they were full. And then they would quietly come back just half an hour later and then leave again as if they oh were full. God. And they would do this all day long, pretending that there was activity going on in the mine when the mine wasn't producing anything. Right. Wow. And Carson found this out That's and shorted that company. Level. It was really famous. He shorted it. It was amazing. And, um, and so they do this research hmm. and try to be right. And the, it's very difficult to be a good short seller because even if a company is bad, like Tesla, it's possible. I'm not saying Tesla's bad, but I haven't done my research. But let's assume he's right that it's really not going to succeed. Um, somebody like GM could come in and buy them. And maybe pay more than right. you expected, and then you get burned as a short seller. Because here's the thing. You have to replace the stock. So if Carson didn't replace it at 185, he didn't buy that stock at 185 and, and pay back the stock shares that he borrowed, and Tesla goes to 500, he has to buy the stock at 500 and replace it. And then he loses badly. Mm-hmm. So short selling is not for the fate well, so of heart. I know that there's, I know that there's a timing component to it that uh, like people who sell short ha- cannot just maintain that position for a really long time because it's so expensive to do so. And so this um, interest payment yeah. that you mentioned sounds that's like the that's reason. the reason why you have, you have to be not only this is the thing about shorting is you have to not only be right like it's okay you're right like great you also have to be right in your timing or else you could get things really really wrong and so i just find that double requirement to be so oh it's it's tough um you you are paying this uh this rental fee and it could take forever for this thing to actually fold up um, the, one of the classic examples is that one of, one of the great investors out there is a guy named David Einhorn, who very famously mm-hmm. shorted a company called Allied Capital back in the early 2000s. And once a short seller takes his position, they'll often publicly announce that they're short this company, and here's why. And David is a very good researcher, and he does this big slideshow on why he's short Allied Capital. They're conducting accounting fraud. They're, the the value mm-hmm. of the thing that they're carrying on their books as a as a thing that they own has disappeared and is worth nothing, and they're holding it on there is worth a hundred million dollars, and so this is accounting fraud. And they Einhorn said you're doing accounting fraud. Well, Allied is a big company, and they went to the SEC, Securities Exchange Commission, and said 
these guys are are fraudulently trying to reduce the value of our stock just to make money, and they're hurting our company. And so the SEC, instead of investigating Allied's alleged accounting fraud, investigated David Einhorn and drug him down to a basement office in the in Washington, D.C., and interrogated him about his short position. And this interrogation and a, and, and problem that he had with the SEC effectively caused his investors to bail out of his hedge fund, right? So now mm-hmm. he's got to liquidate. And I mean, it's this amazing story he wrote in a book called You Can Fool Some of the People All of the Time. Yeah, I'm reading that book right it's now. It's really good. It's quite good. <laughs> a bit of like a detective novel almost. And, and David wrote um, the book in 2008. And, and it's still, he was still short allied. And it had still, it was still maintaining its stock price. And then a year later in the recession, it completely folded up and went bankrupt. And I believe the SEC never issued an apology to him. Right. So that's Um, short selling. So that's a great example of how you have to not only be right, but also be right in your timing. Yep. We call it, you have to be right, you have to be right, right now. So the essence of this is that, Tesla is the subject of a couple of very good short sellers. And what I love to do when I'm researching a company is find if there's a, if there's a reasonable short seller position out there that they've written up and presented a slideshow on or something to that effect and get that online. So I'm Googling short and then the name of the company that I'm looking at. Hmm. And, mm-hmm. and then that really helps my, create my story because they've presented the inversion of the story. That's what a short seller mm-hmm. is going to do is say, here's why you shouldn't own this stock. And it should go down to zero. And so that is very helpful. Then you can look into this and say, well, okay, why am I smarter than this person? Yeah, that's a great point. Right? And that's... That's a really good yeah. just... just sort of shortcut to finding out what the reasons against a company are. Right on. When you look at a like sort of, I don't know what to call it, like a company page or something, like if you put in Tesla stock on Google and the uh, info about the stock comes up, or if you do it on your brokerage, oftentimes there will be a little statistic that shows up that says something like this percentage of this stock is sold short. Yep. Or this number of short sellers or large short sellers or something is out there. What does that indicate? It's like, I, I've, I noticed that a while ago and I was like, why do I care? Like is, does is, so I guess my question is, do I care just because that's indicative of how many people think this thing's going to go down or do I care because there's actually some underlying instability to that company in some way because of these short sales. Well, the short sales themselves don't create an underlying instability other than simply a problem for the, for the company in terms of its stock price. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a direct reflection to the stock price, not, not the company's instability or stability itself. Okay, but but it is important because, and that's why Elon Musk doesn't like Carson very much. Yeah, because it's they, yeah right. He's basically People saying your company's upset. a bad company. You shouldn't invest in that company. And the more credibility that has, or the more noise is being made by short sellers, 
the more difficult it is to get people to buy into it. Because people like me are yeah, going to no, look at I that. Yeah, no, I get that. But, like, why do I care that 30% of this stock is sold short? Well, the first the first reason to care is that That's they a may, total... I just made that number up, by the way. I don't it's know actually over 25% Tesla. of Tesla is yeah. borrowed and sold short. That's the so largest why do I, short why position do I care? of any like, why company do I need, out there. Why do I need to read that number? Why do I care about that? Well, you care about it because it's an indication that a lot of people think there's something bad about the stock price. Okay, so that's all it is. It's just an indicator. Nothing in particular about like, oh, so many numbers of shares have been sold short. There might be some problem covering those or it might create like a huge selling drop or something. At some no, point. actually the... The short sellers have already created the problem, right? When yeah. they're selling the yeah. stock, it's driving it down. Yeah. So ironically for short sellers is that the problem that exists in the future is called a short squeeze. And that problem yes. gets created when the stock price refuses to fall and uh, at some point starts to rise. And then the short sellers are in a position where, number one, they're paying some interest, right? on their position mm -hmm. to borrow that stock. And number two, every day that stock price goes up, it's costing them potentially more and more to get out. All right. Mm -hmm. Because they've got to mm -hmm. buy the stock to get out. Now watch this. Yeah. This is where it gets crazy is that let's say some announcement comes out that says Tesla is the only company that's ever going to be able to make electric cars and they are going to be worth a $10,000 a share. Right. Some crazy uh -huh. announcement that no one else can produce cars except Tesla. And the stock takes off. Well, if 25% of the stock is short and suddenly realizes all of these short sellers, I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. I made a mistake. All of a sudden they start buying all of to them cover. will start buying all at once. And that once. makes the price go up. Worse than that. It makes the price gap up. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. this is called a short squeeze when the sellers can't get out. There's not mm -hmm. enough people selling. If somebody just said the stock's going to 10,000, who's going to sell the stock? Nobody. And so now I want out. You have all this demand to exit and no nobody but buyers. Everybody is a buyer. The stock goes from 285 to 3,000 before the first buyers are willing to sell any of it. That's a classic short squeeze, and it does happen, and short sellers get crushed when that mm -hmm. happens. And that's why you'll see sometimes stocks gap up. They, they'll, you know, they, they closed the day before at 285, and they yep. opened at 400 yeah. because there's some announcement, and all the short sellers are trying to get out. And you get a short yeah. squeeze. So short selling, yeah. this is, by the way, we're not advocating short selling. Um, our teacher, Warren no, Buffett, no. doesn't short sell. Because this is why we've never talked about it before. So that's why I wanted to talk about right. this because it's such a huge, it, it's, it's such a huge topic when it comes to this company. I feel like you can't really understand what's going on with Tesla as an investor without talking about the short sellers. Right. So short selling is very dangerous for the short seller. Um, you can find lots of ways to be wrong. Even though you were <laughs> yeah. right about the company yeah. being a bad company, you can still lose a yeah. lot of money as a short seller. So, no kidding. I think you should say that again. <laughs> yeah, okay. And also, I want to point this there out. Are, I'll say it. There are lots hate, of ways to be wrong, even though you're right. People hate on short sellers. They really do. 
they, I mean, think of all the people who love Tesla, who want to see it succeed. And then here comes Carson and says, it's terrible. You're going to go bankrupt. They're just emotionally going to hate on him. It's just the way it is. So short sellers are a unique group. They, they tend to be pretty contrarian in, 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 uh, their social, social views. And, um, and it's not a fun place to be, especially if the stock just keeps going up. It's a very, very not fun place to be. So don't short sell, uh, but do pay <laughs> attention to the people who do short sell. Look at their arguments very carefully. Don't get emotional about it. You know, don't hate on them. Don't you think, though, that there's some joy in rooting out really bad people who are fraudulently absolutely cheating a, people out of their money? There's an I think there place. is something good about that. There's an important moral place for for the short sellers they're they're going to weed out the the frauds and uh and the fads and they're going to keep mom and pop from ending up in those companies because they're going to they're going to cut them down to size yeah all, all of the I, chinese I fraud that was going on that was found not by the sec it was found by short sellers so i see it as a bit heroic yeah, maybe that's a bit that, maybe that that's a true. bit strong but but i really appreciate that people are really looking for the bad stuff because you're right. It's not that fun to look for. you got to be a certain kind of person. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. I mean, for, for this one, for this, for this podcast, just the lesson here is short sellers will present you with phenomenal research from time to time. Never buy a company without understanding the short position as well as the long position. Hmm. That is definitely the takeaway. All right. Good point. Time to go play. All right. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.